Good morning. My name is Wes, as John said. Uh, Doreen and I have been part of this community with our son Nathan since the launch Sunday in October, and it's been an amazing journey, a wonderful journey. And I've been, had an opportunity to speak a few times, and this morning Kevin said, hey, what, or a couple of weeks ago, he said, Wes, would, would you be able to preach? And I said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll give it a try. <laughs> Two Sundays ago, Kevin used chocolate bars to grab our attention, right? He, he was passing out chocolate bars. He didn't give me a budget for chocolate bars. But I managed to scrounge together a few dollars and Doreen went out and, and bought some chocolate bars. And so they're up front here. But I'm going to use them not to get your attention, but hopefully to keep your attention. So three times in the sermon, there, there's going to be a place where you'll have an opportunity to, to receive a reward to, for paying attention or, or knowing the answer. And so keep engaged, please, please. <laughs> this morning, we're back in the Gospel of Luke, and our theme is prayer. I suspect everyone dabbles in it, in prayer. Though I've noticed over the last little while, a few years, that, that language has changed in, in how, or, or how we use prayer. People talk about giving a, a shout out from the universe, or they ask people to direct positive vibes or, or thoughts in their direction. Another example I found was this, sending love, light, and positive energy your way for a speedy recovery. Christians pray, followers of Jesus pray, but we're less ambiguous in our prayers, not so vague. Jesus taught us how to pray, he said, our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven this is a prayer that I knew by heart, and it wasn't because I went out and memorized it. It was because we said it so often, over and over again, it just became part of my memory bank. But it's come on hard times. It's fallen out of fashion, maybe because it's not a, a good feel, a feel-good prayer, spreading positive vibes across the universe. This was the prayer of a revolutionary leader, teaching his disciples how to fight, how to bring about change, how to disarm empires, transforming their world. This prayer comes against powers, seen and unseen, that seek to destroy God's good creation. It's a prayer calling for the justice and mercy of God to reign. But I always do this, I always get way too far ahead in my sermon, so we need to pull back and we'll come back to the Lord's Prayer later. You may be exploring what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And you haven't signed up for anything revolutionary. You simply want to know what, what does it mean to trust Jesus? And you've may have had a few conversations with him, and these conversations we call prayer. Now, some of us have been on this journey for a long, very long time, and, and our prayer life has ebbed and flowed, and we might be in that place where we know we should pray, but we're thinking, why? Why do we say the same things over and over again? What's 
the point. And then there's always a few who are out there who seem to have that direct line to God. You know who they are. They, they pray with boldness, with confidence, with, with such faith, and we're envious of them, and we wish we could pray like them. But most of us fall somewhere in between the prayer agnostic and the prayer warrior. I grew up surrounded by prayer. Before I went to school in the morning, my mom would pray with me. I was taught to say grace, come Lord Jesus, be our guest. May this food to you be blessed. Amen. At the end of June, we're returning home from Winnipeg. Our son and daughter-in-law had their first child. He was six weeks early, a little earnest, beautiful little boy. But we're returning home. We had driven there, and we're heading up the Yellowhead Highway, number 16. We're going to Dreams, where she grew up, Shoal Lake, but we stop in a little community called Nipua, Manitoba. Now I have a chocolate bar for someone who knows where Nipua, Manitoba is and actually has been there, driven through. Linda, Linda you have, come and get your chocolate bar. <laughs> we stop at the subway. There was a time where I lived at subway, but we stopped there and we had our, had our lunch, and there's a couple who had finished their lunch, they were heading out the door, and we greeted each other, and we got to talking, and in the middle of the conversation, the man said, I knew you were Christians because you prayed before you ate. I still pray before I eat. Growing up, we'd have devotions, not every time after supper, but often after supper we'd have devotions, and dad would pray or mom would pray, and these were long prayers. And I made a promise to myself that I would not pray long, tedious prayers in front of children, particularly my children. <laughs> my day would begin with prayer, and my day would end with prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Amen. Now this prayer has come under hard times. It's been edited to meet our present-day sensibilities. We no longer have children praying about their possible death before they go to sleep. <laughs> mm. prayer, prayer is a critical part of the Christian journey. Apprentices of Jesus pray. The disciples of Jesus had grown up with prayer. It was in their DNA as the people of God. And the pray, prayer that they prayed most was the Shema. And this is found in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The Shema, this prayer was the first words out of a, a young Jewish lad's mouth or, or girl's mouth when they woke up, and it was the last prayer on their lips when they went to sleep. The disciples knew this prayer. They prayed this prayer, but they wanted more. They, they observed the prayer life of Jesus, saw his relationship with his heavenly Father, and they wanted that. And so in Luke chapter 11, the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. John's disciples were taught to pray by John the Baptist. Teach us, Jesus. 
And so Jesus gives them this prayer in Luke chapter 2, and it's a, a shorter version of the Matthew 6 Lord's Prayer. He said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed is your name, your kingdom come. Seven chapters later, in Luke chapter 18, after many parables, many healings, and, and much teaching, Jesus comes back to this topic of prayer. <clears throat> and this is our scripture passage today. And so I invite you to find your way to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, we're going to read the first eight verses. Now, you may have a, a device that, that you want to go to, but I want to give a chocolate bar to the first person that comes up who's using our pew Bible. Who's using the pew Bible? All right, there. Yes, oh, somebody's even faster. <clears throat> no, come on, come on up. That's fine. <clears throat> I never use the Pew Bible. I cannot read out of the Pew Bible. It's a young person's Bible. So let's read. Luke chapter 1, or Luke chapter 18, starting verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? If you go back to, to verse 1, we discover Luke does this editorial comedy and he tells us what this verse is all about, or this parable is all about. He says, Then Jesus told his, his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Luke clearly gives us the point of the story. There's no hidden agenda to this. There's no truth that, that lies underneath that, that the disciples have to pull aside Jesus and say, what, what were you talking about, Jesus? What, what was that all about? No, you don't have to read before, between the lines, dig under the text. You don't have to parse any nouns or verbs. It's there, stated clearly. The point of the parable is do you want your prayers answered? Keep pestering God. Do you want your prayers answered? Be persistent. Persistent prayer is an act of faith. Persistent prayer is faith in action. And this is the message. This is all you have to remember today. And if you want to leave, you can leave. Persistent prayer is faith in action. Say it with me. Persistent prayer is faith in action. Kenneth Bailey, uh, a leading expert in Jesus' parables, looks at how his parables relate to Middle Eastern life. And he tells a story from 19th century Iraq. There's a judge who's sitting 
on a raised platform, half buried in cushions. He's surrounded by secretaries and court personnel. The room is crowded. Voices are shouting, trying to be heard. They're pleading their case, trying to have their case brought before the judge. Shrewd litigants are seen on the edge, swaying the court clerks with bribes. And when enough money to exchange hands, they would bring these cases to the judge. And the judge always ruled in favor of the one who paid the highest bribe. A poor woman who skirted the edges of the crowded room interrupted the proceedings with pleas for justice. She was told to be silent. You're here every day disrupting the court, she was told. And so I will, she cried out, until the judge hears me. She continued for many more days, and finally the judge said, what does the woman want? What does she want? So she told her story to the court. Her only son had been drafted into the army. She was left alone on her plot of land, and she could not till it. There was nobody that would plow it for her. But when the tax collector came, <clears throat> he still demanded taxes, even though she could be exempt. The judge asked a few questions and said, let her be exempt. Her persistence was rewarded. It's uncanny the striking similarities between the story and Jesus' parable. The judge in Jesus' parable also relents, and he says, verse 4, I care nothing what God thinks, even less what people think, but because this widow won't quit badgering me, I'd better do something and see that she gets justice. Otherwise, I'm going to end up eating black and blue by her pounding. The word that lies in behind his, his fear, what he's fearing, literally means to give a black eye. He wasn't afraid of a physical attack from this woman, but her persistent badgering, her, her berating was wearing him down emotionally. If this kept on, his reputation, even though he didn't care what God or, or people thought, his reputation would be in tatters. In a culture where shame was a powerful weapon, one avoided being shamed at all cost. Jesus concludes the parable by making three points. And the first one is found in verse 7. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? This is a rhetorical question. The answer is, of course. Of course, God will bring about justice for his chosen ones. That's a given. Bruce Colburn, a Canadian singer-songwriter, has written hard-hitting songs calling for justice. And one of the lines in, in his song, Lovers in a Dangerous Time, says, we must kick the darkness till it bleeds daylight. We must kick the darkness till it bleeds daylight. What a powerful image when we're lovers in a dangerous time. This is what Jesus did on the cross. He kicked the darkness till it bled daylight on Easter Sunday. And he calls us as his lovers in a dangerous time to do the same. We do it through prayer. We do it persistently praying against injustice. We persistently pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
We persistently pray because it demonstrates faith in action. It shows that we trust Jesus. We trust that his death has taken all the injustices, mine, yours, and the world, and he's dealt with them. He's covered them with his blood, his life for mine, his life for yours. This is God's world-writing justice-keeping the second point Jesus makes is the first part of verse 8. I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. I tell you that he will see that they get justice and they'll get it quickly. Now, there's a tension in this verse because we know that many injustices go unnoticed. Reparations are never made. As Christians, we disagree on what constitutes injustice. We muddle along hoping to get some of it right. We wish God was quicker with his answers, his responses. The children of Israel, they waited 430 years to be freed from the injustice of slavery in Egypt. God's timing is not our timing. It is the right timing. There are times when silence is all we get when we pray. And if you're a results-oriented person, this drives you crazy, and eventually you'll simply go and look for your answers somewhere else. Even Jesus experienced the silence of God to his prayer on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But Jesus kept praying, and his last prayer was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The key comparison in this parable is between God and this unjust judge. And Jesus says, take a close look at this judge. Take a look at him. God is the opposite to this man. Yes, at times it feels like God is not listening, not caring, simply ignoring our pleas. But the opposite is true. The Apostle Paul in, in Romans chapter 8 reminds us that God is for us. In verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or, or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love those verses. Powerful verses. And when life seems hopeless and God is silent, I remember. I remember these verses and I remember his great love for me. And it doesn't matter what I think or feel, he loves me. He loves you. Persistent prayer, however, is required. This is the point of the parable. Why persistent prayer? Because persistent prayer is faith in action. This is what Jesus addresses at the end of the story, the third and final point. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? <clears throat> this reference to Son of Man is, is a title, a designation filled with hope. And Jesus has taken this title for himself, <clears throat> and he uses it over and over, particularly in, in Luke chapter 17. 
So when the Son of Man returns, when Jesus returns, will he find faith on earth? Or in other words, will he find people persistent in prayer? This is not a rhetorical question. Jesus is genuinely asking, are you going to be found faithfully praying when I return? Persistent prayer is faith in action. Praying in the face of suffering, in the face of disappointment, pain, and loss is an act of faith. In the end, when it looks like the world is going to the dogs, will we be praying persistently because persistent prayer is faith and action? Will we persevere in our praying when our world gets turned upside down? Will we continue praying when discomforts remain? Will we keep praying when the ones we love continue in their disinterest towards Jesus? Will we have faith enough to persist in our prayers when we don't get the answers we need or want? Prayers and prayers come with mixed emotions. The next parable in Luke chapter 18 speaks about this as Jesus compares the prayer of a tax collector to that of a Pharisee. January 17th, 2020, you may remember it. I doubt it. <laughs> Had a large dump of snow. So I'd spent the day cleaning the driveway, cleaning the sidewalks, had piles of snow everywhere on the perimeter of the property. Got up the next day, and it was a beautiful sunny day. And for me, when it's a beautiful sunny day, that means you've got to go for a hike. And so I went up the Sumas Grind, Abbey Grind, whatever you want to call it, and it was a beautiful day in the snow. And there's another chocolate bar for someone who's hiked the Abbey Grind, the Sumas Grind, in winter. <laughs> How about just been up there? Chris, I see you. And I actually have a few here, so there's two of you that can come up and, and, and get some, some chocolate bars. So I get home from the hike, and I was more tired because of the snow, and all I wanted to do was rest and relax. And I'm doing that, and then all of a sudden there's this urgent knock on the front door, and I go down, and there's Leanne, our, our neighbor, from across the street. And he says, Wes, Wes, I need your help. I, I lost my mail key in one of the snow piles. I had it in my, my shirt pocket, and it fell out as I was clearing my driveway yesterday. And I can't find it. I said, well, well don't you have some other keys? And he says, no, I had all three keys together. And I didn't roll my eyes. <laughs> I said, yes, I, I will come help you. He'd already been looking, but had been discouraged and, and, and just wanted my help to be. And so I, I closed the door, put on my winter clothes, go out. And before I go out, I pray, Lord, help us find these mail keys. We go through the first pile of snow, and it's looking for the proverbial needle in a haystack. No key. Get to the second pile, praying, Lord, help us find the keys. No keys. Get to the third pile, and it's got to be here, Lord. Help us find them. Get through the third pile. No keys. I go home disappointed. 35 minutes later, bang, bang, bang on the front door, and I go down, and there's Leanne with this big smile on his face. Wes, I couldn't give up. I kept looking, and I found the keys. I said, congratulations. 
I prayed that you'd find them. Closed the door, he went back home with this content look on his face. As I'm going up the stairs, I'm, I'm a little disappointed. When I prayed, I thought I would find the keys. <laughs> I would be the hero of the story, not Leanne or God. And, and God reminded me, hey, Wes, this, this isn't about you. This is not about you. And, and motives matter, but sometimes they don't to God. Persistent prayer is faith in action. Luz Plawa, a great world evangelist, spoke at our BC Mennonite Brethren Convention in 2016. And he shared the African view of how God answers prayer. And so he said, God sometimes says, yes, what took you so long to ask? And sometimes God says, no, I love you too much. Or yes, and even more. Or yes, but not yet. Or yes, but not as you thought. If you do an audit of my prayer life, you, you would be disappointed. I'm disappointed. So much of my praying is, is about me and my needs rather than praying for God's kingdom to come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They're not about seeking justice for the oppressed, sight for the blind, or, or freedom for prisoners. I find much of my praying is selfish, focused on my comfort, my needs, my desires. Most of my answered prayers have to do with missing keys, misplaced tools, mislaid glasses. Now when I take my glasses off, I'm blind, I, I can't find them, so I'm praying a lot to find my glasses. I was working on the back deck, doing a project, and the sun was down, and so it was, the light was quite low. And I rush into the kitchen and say, Dreen, Dreen, you need to come out and help me find my glasses. I need them. And, and she looked at me and said, you mean the ones on your nose? And I said, praise the Lord. Another <laughs> answered prayer. Praying isn't about getting it right, saying it right, doing it right. It's about a conversation with God. This conversation shapes our lives. A 14th century Persian poet, Hafiz, advised, the words you speak become the house you live in. Powerful, powerful. But I want to change this a little bit and say, the prayers you pray become the house you live in. Our lives are built out of the prayers we pray. Our lives move in the direction of our prayers. If we pray selfishly, we live selfishly. If we pray for justice, we will work against injustice. If we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we will pray that God's kingdom will be built, not our own. Remember, Persistent prayer is faith in action. Persistent prayer keeps us coming into the presence of God, and it's there in his presence that we live and we're transformed. I want to invite our worship team to come up at this time. We have prayer teams. We were reminded of that earlier. We have prayer teams in the front pews here. We have prayer team out in, in the prayer room across the lobby. We need prayer. 
You may need prayer this morning. Avail yourselves of these people. They want to pray with you. They want to be there. They, they want to help you. We've been praying for two individuals. We've been praying for Anthony Zanbergen, praying that sight would be returned to his eyes. We've been praying for, for Chad Roberts, that the cancer, that the tumors in his brain would be removed, that he would be healed. And I suspect the people closest to these two individuals are the most persistent in their praying. We're called to pray for each other. And as you're leaving this morning and you're in conversation, you, you, you hear something, tell that person, I, I'll pray for you this week or even stop at that time and, and pray for them there. Have the courage to say, hey, will you pray for me this week? We are a community of prayer. This morning we're going to close our service by praying the Lord's Prayer together. The Lord's Prayer is a prayer we're to pray incessantly persistently over and over again. It's a revolutionary prayer. It's asking that the justice and mercy of God would reign supreme on earth as it does in heaven. This is a prayer of faith. It's a prayer of God's faithful servants. So I want to invite you to stand with me and then remain standing as we move into our worship time. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Persistent faith, persistent prayer is faith in action. Amen? Amen. Amen.